agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government of the government love. Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Trey Orndorf, a political scientist at Oklahoma Christian University, and I'm joined today by Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. Welcome to the show, Mike. I'm glad to be here to do it with you, Trey. Yeah, we don't often get to do the shows together. And today, not only are we doing the show together, but we were the, the midweek interview show, too. Yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of each other. So I, I, think, that's a, I think that's a good thing. At least I, I'm not sick of you yet. I hope you're not sick of me. I hope, I hope the listeners aren't sick of us. I hope listeners aren't sick of us either, right? Like, uh, but yeah. No, it, you know, we, 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 we bring, I guess we're kind of the moderate wing of our, our respective <laughs> uh, positions in a way. So. Watch. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, we are the exactly. We're the sensible ones. We're the we're the thoughtful ones, uh, and that's what we need this week. So, well, I mean, I, I think the the big story that we're going to start with, uh, Mike, is going to be the Katanji Brown Jackson hearings, um, because you know this the the shape of the Supreme Court. I, I, you know, one of the things when you're thinking about this, and and I try to talk to my students about, we've had so many of them recently. That I can imagine if you're just now getting in to thinking about the political system that you almost think like, oh, this happens regularly, <laughs> right? Uh, but really, we've, we've kind of had an uncharacteristically high number of Supreme Court uh, appointments. And you know, the more of you these you have, the, the, the fewer of them you're going to have for, for a long time. And so this really is, it always is, uh, a big to be changing one of our uh, nine. And so We've had over 24 hours of questions uh, uh, for uh, uh, Jackson, and it really has kind of split into, it's not a big surprise, we have uh, Democrats uh, uh, put it, pu- pushing up the kind of the historic nature of the, the appointment uh, of Jackson being a, the first ever potential black female on the high court, uh, which is a big deal. As a matter of fact, Cory Booker has this very kind of emotional moment uh, where he has this soliloquy for what it means and kind of seeing his mother uh, in Jackson and Jackson kind of having the, you know, this, that made for television tear moment. Uh, and then likewise, Republicans have really decided uh, to narrow in primarily, not so much on uh, Jackson's judicial philosophy, but more specifically into her role uh, as uh, in the defining of kind of both pedophile cases and the child pornography cases, with a little bit of defending of Guantanamo Bay uh, defendants thrown in for, for a good mix. And so I know there's a lot of things that we could get in here, Mike, but I, I wanted to kind of maybe structure us a little bit and start by talking about Ted Cruz's sets of questions, because I think he really kind of set that up. Uh, Holly and then uh, uh, Graham would also uh, jump in on these uh, but Cruz would make some points related to Harvard, and obviously Jackson would say, well, she's, her plan is going to be to recuse when it comes to Harvard being uh, uh, sued for discrimination against Asian Americans. But what he was really getting at, if you watch that whole piece, and this spent a lot of the time, was how, do, how should the high court understand sex and gender when it comes to gender uh, discrimination. As a matter of fact, he says, quote, you couldn't define what a woman is. 
You're not a biologist. Only so the Supreme Court is going to need to answer that question. So, you know, how do you know if somebody has a, a gender standing? This seemed to be a really big deal. And we're going to talk about some more cases here uh, later on as governors have been striking down some of these uh, trans bills. But this is this is kind of a big line of uh, uh, qu- question. As a matter of fact, Cruz goes on to say, quote, if I can decide right now I'm a woman, then I'm a woman, according to progressivism, end quote. I could be an Asian man, end quote. Uh, and, 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 you know, that, that's a, what, what do you think about that line of attack? It spent a lot of time uh, with Jackson on those, Mike. Well, I guess I'd say Ted Cruz is an idiot, except he's not. Um, he knows what he's doing, and he knows it's ridiculous. Uh, and it's not like people decide, wake up and say, oh, it's Thursday. I'll be a woman. That's that's ridiculous. And if Ted Cruz doesn't know that, then he's he's got deeper problems. And so he's, he's either disingenuous or uh, uh, moronic, essentially. And, and it's just, you know, it, this whole nomination hearings thing is just such a joke. Uh, It's the worst form of political theater. You mentioned it in part, right? The president's party, they alternate between praising the candidate and these hallmark moments, whatever they are, right? The first ever, what have you, or giving the nominee these incredibly softball questions that they knock out of the park, park, right? And and the opposition, they try to desperately create these gotcha moments like like Cruz and Holly and the rest were doing. And then they criticized the nominee for not not saying, oh, here's a trap. Yes, I will jump into this trap. It's, it's all <laughs> just such a waste of everyone's time. And honestly, it's an insult. It sure feels like an insult to my intelligence. And I would think the intelligence of most people. You know, I, I've thought about this a big bunch, and and I, I keep coming back to the idea that I think we can understand a lot of what happens for in these committees in terms of position taking rather than governing, because I think that's at the end of the day, I think that's where most individuals want to vote, and, and you know, maybe that's a it's a sad state on democracy. Uh, and again, that goes back. There's a lot of political science research to suggest that what we're voting on is kind of these position taking. Um, so what I kind of hear you saying is, yeah, it's all just a bunch of t- position taking. So anybody who's actually trying to glean anything important from Jackson, it, it just isn't going to get it from 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 the, these hearings. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. And you get like. Mitch McConnell, who alternately makes me laugh and groan at this point, right, saying, I came into this with an open mind. And the fact that he could say that with, without his eyes just rolling back in his head or without his head exploding or something, I got to say, you got to give Mitch credit, right? Here's the guy who voted against Sotomayor. He voted against Kagan. He didn't have to vote against Garland because he kept him from even getting to a vote, right, with that made-up rule about if the moon is in Saturn and it's the last month of the 12th year and the Republicans are in control or what have you, you know. Uh, uh, Now, he did vote for Justice Ginsburg nearly 30 years ago, right? But of course, everyone else did too. It was 96 to 3. Uh, Same thing with Breyer, 87 to 9. So Mitch really had some courage there to be in the 87 on that vote. And uh, the reason I point this out is he say, well, you know, she's just this really radical type of person. And here we have uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is an icon to the progressive left, right? If you want a picture, if you want look under the you know, progressive left sort of uh, heroes, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and yet 96 votes. And so the idea that it's the radicalness of the candidates that's 
causing this in any significant way, I think is preposterous. And I know even on the other side, I think Ken has suggested a couple of times that that uh, Republicans, the reason why Republican uh, Supreme Court nominees uh, are don't get that many votes is because Republicans are nominating more radical jurors. And I, I don't really buy that on either end. I think to your point, it's really just all about position taking. And, and if you want to know what's changed to the point where someone like a Ginsburg can get 96 votes or a Scalia, a radical icon right onto the conservatives, gets For sure. a unanimous 98 to nothing vote. The things that's changed is the is the political environment, not the not the justices. So then let me, I mean, again, I mean, we could probably end there in one sense, but, you know, I, I think if anything is going to come post uh, 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 the, the hearings of this, I think for Republicans, it's all going to be hanging on the cases dealing with child pornography. So I, I would like to dig in that a little bit uh, with you. And this, yeah, it's a position yeah. take for sure. So I think I mean, we've set that up, but I, nevertheless, I think it's an important one. Uh, because I think it, it it might underlie, we'll see, we'll get there, uh, kind of an actual fundamental difference between Republicans and Democrats. So I'll, I'll set this up for readers. I watched a lot of this. Um, you know, uh, the, the big case that's first going to come up is this one called the United States versus Hess, where even individuals sending six pictures, has 600 images, including sex acts, ends up pleading guilty. As a matter of fact, most of these individuals have pled guilty. In the case of Hess, uh, has a mandatory five-year minimum get sentenced to 60 months, which is the lowest available under the law. And so this is the case, this is the point that uh, Cruz and Graham and Holly will just hammer on, arguing that consistently uh, Jackson has, has been soft on underage pornog- pornographic crime. Uh, Graham says, quote, I think what you were doing, I, th- I think you were doing it wrong, excuse me, and every judge who does what you are doing is making it easier for children to be exploited, end quote. Um, in her, and Jackson's going to respond that, you know, these are some of the most difficult cases because you're dealing with uh, sex of children and graphic descriptions, and you have to consider, you have to consider the children's perspective, for example. Uh, in her response to Graham, Holly is going to respond, say, look, you gave this guy three months. Isn't it appropriate to base that number? Uh, doesn't that make that heinous to not signal how heinous it is? As a matter of fact, the individual in this case has uh, Wesley Holland. He ha- he's a, I don't know if you saw this, Mike. He has a, a Washington Post piece on him specifically. Um, it's Wesley Hawkins is the uh, individual in, in the case that was being talked about. Uh, so again, Ted Cruz is going to put up all of these posts and say, like, look, we've got kids as young as toddlers uh, receiving 28 months or 64% of what prosecutors uh, ask for. So for me, Mike, what I see in this is I'm looking at her response and theirs. I mean, obviously, we have a position take. But I think we also are seeing a potential very radical difference that we don't always think about between Republicans and Democrats. And that's in their view of what the legal system is designed to do. I, I think for Republicans, uh, the, the idea is, is you deter crime through high penalty and high penalties combat crime and are designed to penalize the individuals who, who have done things wrong. And I think, uh, I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, I, th- I think a lot on uh, Democrats are going to have a very basically different assumption that says, look, 
there's a broader set of tools to be used when we're sentencing individuals. It's not just about time in prison. And likewise, the outcome goal for this ought not just to be uh, uh, penalizing individuals because that won't, in fact, change long-term behaviors, but rather we got to think with a, with a broader framework. And I think you started to see some of that actually more methodically come out. And I was wondering what you thought about that. I think it's non-issue. Uh, I think that it's not a really this this particular issue isn't a partisan issue. It's a made-up issue by Cruz and Holly and others. You know, uh, Andrew McCarthy, who's a, a National Review uh, uh, columnist, and certainly oh, I a read doubt, his piece. Some, he he pointed out on yeah, that. Yeah, I'm uh, sorry. Continue. Yeah. Uh, federal prosecutor for almost 20 years uh, and someone who pointed out that as far as he can tell, uh, child porn wasn't a priority of the Missouri Attorney General's office during the two years that uh, Holly was there, but uh, that's neither here nor there. He's not being under investigation or anything like that, but uh, his conclusion is that the way that this was framed was blatantly bogus by the Republicans on the Judiciary Committee, and he said you know, he doesn't, he doesn't really support Jackson. But he says, and I quote, the implication that she has a soft spot for sex offenders who prey on children because she argued against a severe mandatory minimum prison sentence for the receipt and for the receipt and distribution of pornographic images is a smear. And so that's why I think, you know, we can we can have a, a larger conversation, certainly about the purpose of the criminal justice system and that. But I think the key issue here is the fact that Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, too, uh, as far as I can tell, amoral, sad little men who are desperate, desperate for power and will do whatever they really think they need to do to get into the limelight and get that power. They're more than happy to smear uh, Judge Jackson. And that's what they're doing. So you just see this as entirely a smear. You don't think there's even a, a modicum of a there there. Just like just like how it was. Uh, who was who was the senator? And I'm blanking now. The Republican, a couple of Republican senators on the Judiciary Committee said, "Well, what what about this? You said that everyone in D.C. jail should be released, and this was a complete misrepresentation because what Judge Jackson clearly said in her opinion that she wrote was that someone could make a case for this, but I'm not that person." And in fact, I will deny this person being released for COVID under COVID conditions. And so that's the sort of that's the sort of smearing that goes on. And it it is fascinating to me, not fascinating, it's sickening to me, the fact that on the one hand, Republicans can boo-hoo-hoo about how their nominee was so smeared and turn right around and do the same thing. So I've got I've Please. That's why this whole thing is just to me a, just a ridiculous joke. The fact of the matter is, is Judge Jackson is highly qualified. She's not going to get but one or two Republican votes. And that has nothing to do with her qualifications. Of course, she's a liberal. She can say what she wants about textualism and, and so forth and so on. That's a smokescreen, too, because another part of that standard playbook that makes this all so laughable is because everyone knows what's going on, the candidate or the nominee is instructed very clearly to say absolutely nothing that means anything. So there we are. Well, and that's true. I mean, one of the items I thought we could talk about on this, for example, is the fact that if you really, if you were being honest about the underlying thing that mattered the most, it would be the actual judicial philosophy of the candidate, right? This idea yeah, uh, and in your case, you know, Jackson pays service to that idea of it's the textual story. 
later she'll talk about needing to be a, deta- a detached mediator. Um, but we recognize, I mean, as political scientists, as lawyers, that there are there's not there's not an infinite number of judicial uh, philosophic positions. There's not an infinite number of ways to interpret the Constitution. I mean, really, even if you're getting really down into the weeds, what you got ten. <laughs> um, <clears throat> But you're right. We're never going to get those kinds. We, so I, I guess one of the questions I was going to ask you, and here we are, we'll just, we'll just do it in this case. So if you were a senator, what kinds of questions would you try to ask if you were trying to get at that judici- judicial philosophy? And sh- should we even be getting at judicial philosophy? Does that even matter? I, I was thinking of that to myself on that matter. You know, is it just about the qualifications of the person? Or should we be able just to say, well, look, I disagree with their judicial philosophy. Let's get at that and be like, well, no, you're... You know, you're 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 not an actual textualist, structuralist, moral reasoner, right? Like, I'll, yeah, fill in the blank. Yeah, I think that's more honest than than pretending that somebody is soft on crime or or you know a fan of pedophilia or something like that. Absolutely, you know. And so, but and and I do think there are some important differences. I do also think that this distinction between uh, a living constitution and textualism, originalism, is kind of a fake distinction in a way, because the fact of the matter is is that the text of most laws and of the Constitution is generally open enough or vague enough, and intent is often often whose intent, whose intent, you know, is often malleable enough to be able to call oneself an originalist or a textualist and come to a wide variety of interpretations. For instance, if you're an originalist, textualist, it's very easy to, I guess, ignore the first part of the Second Amendment. That's part about a militia. Wow, that's just, I don't know, it's they probably a typo or something like that. They meant to strike that out, I think. I heard Madison say that. You know, so, I mean, in a sense, then no one is, no one is saying that the document doesn't mean anything. Everyone who would be nominated for a position is saying that, yes, the words have meaning, but it's so broad that, and and that's why this, my objection in a way to people who say, well, you know, I'm a textualist. I don't insert my own meanings. That's, that's, that's ridiculous too, because there's plenty of room for you to insert your meanings. And in a way you can argue it's even more dangerous if you actually think that you're being neutral when in fact, you're just interpreting the text in such a way that allows you to insert your meaning. So effectively, you don't think there's much of a difference between uh, uh, judicial. You know, I asked that because uh, a few weeks ago, Ken and I uh, had a little bit of an exchange on that, where he kind of put forward his position on the need for kind of that broad moral reasoning, saying, "Well, you know, what was the intent of the moral purpose, and how do we bring that in, into the contemporary era?" And, and we had a little bit of a discussion about that. But it seems like what you're saying is maybe there's not as much distinction there. No, I mean, I think. I think, yes, there is. And clearly, judges interpret the Constitution and laws in very different ways. But I, and I'm saying, I guess what I'm saying is that the the labels that we put on these things are oftentimes give, a, give us a false sense of these different camps. And I'm saying that every judge is biased. Every judge interprets things in a way that tends to comport with their culture and their upbringing and all the influences that got them there because they're human beings. And and I think sometimes the most dangerous human beings are those who aren't willing to admit that these things are going on and just say, well, no, I'm just saying, you know, what the words say. That's all I'm doing. That's that's never all that they're doing, or rarely, certainly. There are, you know, technical cases where that's the case. And that's not a bad thing as long as they're, you know, they understand this and and, and admit this. And you can kind of go from there. 
Now, one last thing to talk about here. On Discord, we had been kind of taking some over-under bets, at least the two of us were, uh, at at the behest of some listeners, about where we thought the the voting would be. And and I, you know, so, you know, Jay on the show had had taken a, what you thought was relatively optimistic. I took a pretty optimistic view of how many uh, uh, Republicans were going to come over. I don't know if I'm quite as optimistic anymore, uh, uh, given what we've, we've kind of seen in the Judiciary Committee. Uh, so do you think this is going to be an opportunity for the vice president to have to vote? Or do you think that there's going to be some, at least a few Republicans uh, come over? Well, there were only three who voted for her for the appellate court. And uh, mm-hmm. given the fact it's very standard practice for people who've voted for someone on the appeals court to say, well, this is different because it's more important. So uh, uh, certainly it won't be more than three. I think it will be well, it would be less than three. I wouldn't be surprised if it's no Republicans, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be, this is as hopeful as I get one or two. What about you? One or two. Yeah. And this afternoon, as I've been kind of, I was summing some of these things up and thinking about it. Uh, obviously I've pulled back from my, my, I, I honestly thought that number was going to be higher initially. Um, but clearly I think the, the case has been made that if you're going to be a law and order person, you know, you can't be Jackson. And, and so I think that's going to be, it's going to be a, a difficult position to vote for and then run in uh, red districts. So, but the, the one thing that holds out and so, you know, if you're a Republican, one way you can kind of deny at least a little bit of additional history is, well, if, if you have a perfect vote, then you're going to have the first African-American uh, uh, vice president voting to confirm be the the confirmation vote for the first african-american woman to the to the high court and uh, i wonder if you know you know you could you could in other words you could kind of rain on a little bit of a picture parade by just voting yes there you go yeah that's true that's true i hadn't thought about so, that angle. i don't know i don't know i mean because your case right i mean you're saying if you, if you were going to let one or two people do it anyway you do it and then at the same time you uh you know you you, you kill an image yeah, I think, you know, I, I think for these things, it's all about political advantage. And so I don't really see what the political upside for hardly really any Republican is to vote for, for Judge Jackson. And so that's why I would be surprised if more than one or two do. OK, so why don't we move forward then to talking about Hunter Biden, right? Because this week, the New York Times uh, confirmed a story that actually came out a few years ago. So Hunter Biden, the president's son, has remained under investigation for taxes, foreign work, and more. Now, for many, the key to this story this past week was this line from the New York Times piece, uh, quote, from a cache of files that appear to have come from a laptop abandoned by Mr. Biden in a Delaware uh, pair shop, end quote. The reason that that has been such a big uh, kerfuffle this week is that this is the meat, this is this uh, information that a few years ago uh, the mainstream media had treated with a higher level of caution and maybe even more uh, in some p- individuals' mind problematically, Twitter and Facebook had blocked restricted access to this when it had come from the New York Post. As a matter of fact, this week the New York Post editorial board responded, quote, the laptop is real, end quote in a bit of, a, of an attack. So here's kind of the whole story of what happened. In October of 2020, the New York Post uh, published Hunter Biden's texts, emails, and other documents. Now, how did they get this? Well, a Delaware computer repair store owner 
John Paul Mark Isaac in 2019 said someone dropped off three laptops according to his story. They had water damage. The person identified himself as Hunter Biden, but because Mr. Isaac is blind, he wasn't clear. And the signature wasn't clear. So not everybody was exactly sure. But the three laptops were never picked back up. And so he eventually looks through the data and finds what he sees to be scandalous material related to Hunter Biden. He then hands this material over to authorities, but importantly, he decides to keep a copy for himself, which he then hands over uh, as a Trump supporter himself to Rudy Giuliani's lawyer, who then continues to have it circulate, and it winds up in the hands of the New York Post. Now, much of what's on the laptops was already known, but there's two important key elements that are once again coming up now, which is the connection with Biden and a Ukrainian gas company and with Chinese business interests. Republicans called this evidence not just of Hunter Biden, but of Joe Biden being corrupt. Now, the material was controversial even inside the New York Post. As a matter of fact, Post staffers were called it the laptop from hell and wondered if they even had enough to, authentic, uh, to, uh, to give it authenticity. So now it comes around that it appears that the New York Times has given it a level of authenticity, which has made everybody wonder, well, why does it take so long? So, Mike, what do you think about the return of the laptops? Well, it, it made me think of a phrase that Carl Sagan, the astronomer, uh, popularized. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, right? And so I, I tried to think about the because the story that, that I've been seeing from the right uh, from the beginning is like, well, the mainstream media buried this thing because they were trying to help out Joe Biden and hurt Donald Trump. And OK, but let's think about this from well, look at this from the perspective of, say, a mainstream media, uh, a top media outlet like the Times or the Post, right? So we, we have this story where this is what supposedly happened. Hunter Biden has a laptop that he knows has sensitive and damaging information, right? That's unquestionable. Some of the stuff on there, no one would want to get out. So instead of kind of taking it somewhere with someone he knew or trust or finding out someone like that, he just takes it to this random repair shop in Delaware. It just so happens that the owner is legally blind, and so we can't identify him, and the signature is a little questionable. So we can't really say that it's him that took this laptop with damaging stuff to a random repair shop that, oh, by the way, just happened to be owned by a fervent Trump supporter. Okay. And then... With this laptop that contains damaging information, Biden just forgets, I guess, to pick it up within 90 days. And the owner just doesn't even think to call him and ask him about it or anything like that. And then turns it over to the FBI, makes a copy, and then turns that over to Trump's attorney and a very pro-Trump media outlet. Now, if I'm an editor at the New York Times and someone comes to me with that, it's like, are you freaking nuts? That's bonkers. <laughs> Now, and it turns out, OK, that maybe a lot of that bonker stuff happened, but that doesn't mean that it was because the media thought, oh, my God, we, this could destroy the Biden campaign. That's a ridiculous story. Now, it, it seems clear to me if all of this is true, then Hunter Biden is the 
is an idiot. Hunter Biden is messed up. And it seems like there's a lot of evidence that suggests that Hunter Biden is like that kid that you're like, oh, my God, he's our bad kid. And what are we going to do with him? And yeah, Hunter Biden seems to be like a total freaking mess. But that story, that story is bananas. And maybe it happened, but I sure as hell wouldn't believe it, even if someone told me it, it of somebody who I, you know, didn't like. That just seems crazy. That's my take. No. No, I, I hear you. And I think the evidence here is that I, I think the thing that is emergingly true is the depths to which Hunter Biden is just an incredibly both terrible person and just unhinged person. Um, but that, that's, ne- not, that's, that's neither here nor there in terms of, I think, the primary question, which is what, to what extent should this have been run sooner? And as a guy who's on the media side of things, I'm, I'm with you on this front, Mike, to say, look, you know, you, you've got to at least be a little bit, you know, suspicious. Okay, well, how I do we verify the these things? I forgot the, the last part, right? That this comes out three weeks, not even three weeks before the election, the October surprise. I mean... God, you put yes. that together, and I—I I would need to see—I would need to see an awful lot of compelling evidence. Well, and so I want to come back to thinking about—you know—a lot of times we talk in the show about, okay, so sources and where do we get information and why we do this. So you might say, well, this is this is a reason why we need to think more carefully about the New York Post. So. I today I did a little bit of fact finding. I'll be honest; I don't generally frequent. Uh, the New York Post website. I don't know. Do you? Is that something? Is that on your list, uh, Mike? Nope, not at all. Not at all. So I, I did some digging for us, and I went. So this this is what it was. Now again, obviously, this is a their digital front page. So this was the morning of of March twenty fifth. So I don't know what it's going to be if a listener pops this up. Uh, but the very top image was a bikini clad woman, and the 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 headline is "Pure Trouble." Ex classmates say socialite accused in fatal shove of New York City voice coach has quote no empathy. Come down a little bit, and we get disqualifying words from Judge Brown Jackson. We get mm-hmm. Oklahoma Dem ends campaign after drunken vomit soaked sleepover. Gonzaga star doomed by horrible call and March Madness upset. And then we get a few stories about sisters lacing each other's wedding cake with pot. Um, So long to crime ridden New York City. Paralyzed man with brain chip says his first words, I want beer. Right. So this, these are the top stories for the New York Post today, apparently. Exactly. So you consider the source. Exactly. Now, if it if this, exactly. had come, if this had come out of the Wall Street Journal, I would have reacted very differently. Yes. And, and I think the other thing. So our response should be different, but we should also recognize that these are very different outlets who are going to have wildly different standards for what they're going to be willing to put forward. So I guess the way I would want you know everyone to think about this in, in part is to say, look, there are people making bombastic claims for terrible reasons all the time. That doesn't mean that some of those might not end up being true. It just means that I wouldn't then, because you get one out of 100 right, suddenly say, see, there's the... <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and I think that's the other bit of context you need to have here is is that right the the the, the New York Post even had their whatever we find out about later about this their standards are just incredibly lower for deciding something that needs to be news and or kind of the the spin and the frame on that. 
Yeah, but that that all being said, Trey, I will I certainly will admit that I would be surprised if it weren't the inclination of the almost you know the largely liberal folks who work for the Post and the New York Post, I'm sorry, New York Times and the Washington Post, to give less benefit of the doubt to Trump and Trump supporters. Now, in part because there at that point there was a four-year history of them lying like hell, but that doesn't help you certainly. If Rudy Giuliani tells me the sky is blue, I'm thinking that can't be right, you know. So, <laughs> I think that's part of it. But but and certainly. But I think it would be wrong to say that there isn't some element of wanting one side to be right and the other side to be wrong, other things being equal. Of course, there's some of that. So in addition to this, I think that that's conservatives who say, you know, if this had been confirmed before the election, then this could have made a difference. Absolutely, it could have made a difference, just like the stuff with Hillary Clinton in 2016. And there are always things that we know too late. Then it's another story of, well, to what extent, if at all, was Joe Biden involved in any of this? And as far as I can tell, there's nothing there, actually, except for completely baseless allegations. But hey, the voters have a right to decide based on whatever information that they have. And so you always have more information after the fact. And sure, it could have changed things in a close election. But that's true of essentially every election. Exactly. And I mean, and again, to take that one step for, further, the fact that you have someone who continually makes baseless claims happen to fall on something that might have had a, a story of truth to it doesn't mean that you then have to assume I think that's what you're getting at there and it's a it's a and it's an important point to make well that doesn't then mean okay well we have no evidence that that uh, Joe Biden's involved so that means he is right in other words it's easy to go down this rabbit hole of saying well since they're not it must be true yeah yeah and and you know I think it's it's good it's a, it's a very good thing that the justice department continues to investigate this without as far as we can tell any invest any uh attempts to stop it by Merrick Garland or Joe Biden or anyone else. I mean, he just recently paid off uh, Hunter Biden did more than a million dollars, I guess, in back taxes in, in an attempt, I guess, to make it harder for him to be convicted on what seems like some tax evasion, other tax related crimes. You know, un there's unregistered foreign lobbying, potentially money laundering. And and to the administration's credit, if they uh, there has been no clear attempts to them to slow down or stop that. And I think uh, my mind kind of goes back and think, well, what would, how, how would this have worked if, say, Ivanka Trump or Jared Kushner had been accused of similar things? And how would the president mm -hmm. at that time react it? And so, again, this doesn't mean that Hunter Biden's a good guy. As far as I can tell, he's a horrible guy. But uh, it seems like his, his dad's kind of not exerting influence and kind of letting the chips fall where they may on this. And, and I think he deserves some credit for that. I was going to say the same thing. I mean, again, we won't know for some time, but obviously, again, according to the New York Times story in this case, there is active investigations going on, so much so that Hunter is altering behaviors in a way to attempt to respond to it, which means that he obviously thinks that there's a there there that could come to him. Uh, and, you know, we haven't had any apparent uh, indication that there's going to be some kind of involvement or direction to change that. And I wasn't even going to point to to Trump, but you're absolutely right, right? Uh, you know, 
as a matter of fact, when his uh, children been involved, he kind of decried that, right? Like, how dare anybody investigate uh, a wrongdoing of my children out loud, right? And so again, in comparison, we haven't had any of those kinds of comments. I mean, certainly Biden could have, com- uh, um, excuse me, Joe Biden, President Biden could have commented, at least commented on this, but he's not even taken that step, which again, I think uh, uh, shows a kind of restraint uh, and, uh, and, and, and again, is it perfect that his son is, is doing crazy things? Of course not. But that's one of the reasons I was happy to vote for him over his opponent, which is here, here's he doing what I hoped he would have done in these kinds of circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so Mike, I think this is actually going to bring us to the end of our free ad supported preview. Um, so if you would like to continue to listen to Mike and myself, uh, we've got, uh, we're going to continue to talk about Ukraine here in a moment. We're going to talk about my home state, a new home state of Oklahoma. We're going to talk about other states, including Washington State and Idaho, as it relates to abortion bans in the Texas style. Uh, we're going to talk about what happened in Indiana and Utah with their governors vetoing uh, trans athletes' bills. Uh, and, and we might even be talking a little bit about inflation. We're going to talk about Isaac Saul, who we interviewed earlier this week and about a question that really stuck with us about, do we change our minds and and what's the nature of changing our minds? So if you would like to continue to be a part of the Politics Guys story, this is the time where you can actually head and become a supporter. So if you want to become a supporter, there's a couple of different ways you can do this. One is by heading to patreon.com slash politics guys. That's patreon.com slash politics guys. You can also support us at, via PayPal by going to politicsguys.com slash support. That's politicsguys.com slash support or through Venmo where we're at Politics Guys. Now, of course, we know that for some of you, this is a difficult time. You might not be in a position to financially support the Politics Guys right now. And if that's the case, you can actually reach out to Mike at mike at politicsguys.com and we'll be happy to set you up with access to the full episodes each week. We also have other kinds of uh, advantage and benefits. I was mentioning the fact that we're on Discord. So by becoming a supporter, you're going to have a chance to interact with us different ways and get the full show. So I'm going to stop now and just remind you again, if you'd like the rest of the show, if you've liked this preview, you can get the rest of it by becoming a supporter at patreon.com slash politicsguys, PayPal via politicsguys.com slash support, or on Venmo where we're at politicsguys.